Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. You're listening to The Extra Point Show with Sal Capaccio and Sneaky Joe DiBiase on WGR Sports Radio 550. All right, rolling along here on a Thursday morning on the Extra Point Show on WGR Sports Radio 550. Sal Capaccio, Sneaky Joe DiBiase. Uh, Joe, I'd be remiss if I didn't start off this morning with just the um, thank you to so many of you out there. Uh, appreciate the um, well wishes, warm wishes, condolences. Uh, yesterday we had to say goodbye to our dog, Roxy. I tweeted mm-hmm. something about it, put it out on social media. I've talked about her before here, I, you know, and... I would um, endorse JD Brick fencing. Would talk about you know having the fence and have her out there. She was part of that kind of the ad. So mm-hmm. you know she's just been a part of our lives in so many ways. And you know I know you have your dog Finn, and um, mm-hmm. you know they're just such a part of our family and our lives. And I'm you know I'm sad. I'm sad. Our our hearts are are broken. Here and I talk to you today, and I, I I'm, I'm more of a I try to yeah. always be positive and optimistic in, in most things in life. So. You know, I think what will carry me through here uh, for the next little while is just all the awesome times and how great of a dog she was and, and what kind of life she gave us. Yeah, it's tough. We were, we were thinking of you. We I saw that you tweeted that out yesterday um, or last night and just like, oh, heartbreaking. Dogs are the best. Dogs yeah. are just the best. And my, my mom has a boxer, so it hits home, too, for me, too. So, you know, definitely, yeah. definitely thinking of you guys. You can have... Um, can have big debates on which dogs are the best, but I'm a boxer guy. I love boxers. We had a boxer American bulldog mm-hmm. named Willis before, uh, and yeah, kind of after Willis McGahee, but my, my wife's a big Bruce Willis fan, so we would say, okay, well, Bruce Willis, Willis McGahee, but I uh, had him for, he, he was with us for about eight years, um, and we we had to say goodbye to him, and then it was one of those deals, Joe, where, you know, you're like, yeah, we can't have one. We just have too much going on, can't have a dog. We got pregnant. With Max right after Willis, mm-hmm. and I, we were never not going to get a dog. Like, okay, we got this baby coming, and dude, my wife every day was like sending me things she'd find online. Look at this dog. Look, at this. I'm like, what are you doing to me? <laughs> and finally, there's Roxy, right? And she yeah. wasn't named Roxy when we got her, but you know, and and I'm like, all right. So then we got her, and it was great. But that's what you do. So I'm sitting here telling you right now, I don't have any plans to get another dog for a while. But mm-hmm. I would not be stunned if like six months from now, you and I are talking. I'm like, oh yeah, you got another got one. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. Boxers are goofy, too, I would say. 
You know, some are different, I'm sure, but I feel like from my experience, yeah. they're uh, goofy in a in a good way, in a fun way. I think usually is the uh, yeah the, the word I would think of. What kind What kind of dog is Finn? He's a golden doodle, also goofy in his own way. Golden doodle. He's a golden doodle. Yeah, although well, he's not are, golden. Right? He's not golden. What's the doodle part? The doodle part is what, uh, what, poodle. Yeah, so what What is that? He's a golden retriever and a poodle. Oh, I didn't know that. The poodle part makes it so he doesn't shed. It's perfect. Perfect for uh, not having to clean up hair in the house. <laughs> I will tell you, my son, Max, loves golden retrievers and loves corgis. Oh, you know okay. Corgis, right? You yeah, yeah. Little legs, they're fun. And, and I'm like, yeah. I mean, look, I love any dog, but I'm like, yeah. But... So, so when the time, if it ever comes, we mm-hmm. might have a little bit of going on in our house of what, what breed All right. we get. You know what I mean? Because I'm... I'm a boxer guy, so yeah. They're no matter what you get, though, right? They're just they're just, they're just such a oh yeah a great joy to have around. So thank you everybody for um you know reaching out. Anybody who did, and I really appreciate that. Uh, put some pictures up of her yesterday and and last night. Last night was a tough night, um, but you know we're doing better today, and we're and we're we're doing well. And um you know we'll we'll obviously remember all the great moments. The Bills made some coaching staff changes yesterday, and I I've been really thinking about this a lot over the last twenty four hours, which is basically. I think it's interesting. The not you know, okay, the Ronald Curry hire is interesting, right? Because it's Ronald Curry. Mm-hmm. Joe, they hired a guy, Jamila Die, mm-hmm. to fill a position they didn't have on staff. Do you know the Bills did not have a cornerbacks coach before yesterday? I didn't. They now have a cornerbacks. Not coach. know that they had what a defensive backs coach that handled it all, or what did they have? They had, interestingly enough. And I can also confirm, it's been reported, John Butler is no longer with the organization. Mm-hmm. John Butler was the secondary coach slash passing game coordinator for the defense. He oversaw it all. But you know what else they had? Mm-hmm. A safeties coach. They did not have a cornerbacks coach until now. Now they have a safeties and a cornerbacks coach. Did they also have a nickelback now, coach? I'm not saying they did two years ago. They did two not have ago. one last year. Okay. Yes. Yes, uh, they did not have a dedicated Nichols coach last year. They did have one two years ago. Now, I, now of course, John Butler could have worked with the cornerbacks, right? I mean, that he could have been mm-hmm. the, you know, the he he could have done that, but it wasn't his official title. He oversaw it all. It's like it's like when a coordinator is also working with quarterbacks. Well, you're also the you're the coordinator. You're overseeing everything. You got to have somebody kind of doing a lot of that. John Butler didn't have cornerbacks coaching his title. So, yeah, I, I mean, I know he yeah. worked with the corners. They did have a safeties coach last year. This is a brand new position they are hiring this year. And, Joe, to me, maybe I'm reading too much into this. You tell me. I think this has a lot to do with Kyrie Elam. Hmm. Yeah? His lack of development. He needs more development. We put a first-round pick into this kid. We got to see this through. And I think that's why you have a cornerbacks coach dedicated to that now. I could get there. Uh, one of the reasons. I could I could I could totally get there. Where you see the talent, you see the flashes mm-hmm. of what he can do in a game when he's out there, but they don't have that level of trust with him to have him out there consistently unless there's injuries. So it could be hey, right, an element of let's get someone else in here to work with him. And maybe that will go better. Kind of a, a change of scenery for Kyrie Elam without giving him a change of scenery, if you will. 
Because that, mm-hmm. that gets said all the time, right? Hey, maybe all the guy needs is a change of scenery, and he goes to a different team with different coaches, and then it works out And what usually gets credited for why the guy developed. Oh, he had that change of scenery. It, it could I don't know it, but it could be the Bills trying to recreate that like in their own building for him. Agreed 100%. Now, I mean, we're, we can you know kind of d- speculate, think about how all this went down, what the reasons are, John Butler... Mutually parting ways with the team, as was reported by Jay Skirsky and Elena Getzenberg yesterday. Like I said, I know that he is no longer part of the organization. I, can you see something like this is just me speculating? I don't know. Haven't had anything confirmed to me or told to me exactly how this went down. But, Joe, the, the pieces are starting to line up that, to me, you may have had to, if you're, if you're Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, mm-hmm. you may have had to understand that you were going to lose two out of the three coaches meaning Eric Washington, John Butler, and Bob Babich, Bobby Babich, yeah. depending on which ones you did not give the defensive coordinator job to. This is what it sounds like to me. It feels like to me that Washington and Butler probably wanted the defensive coordinator job. One was the assistant head coach, for crying out loud, right? Yep. One yep. was the passing game coordinator. The other was the linebackers coach. He winds up getting the job. The other two do not. And this is a business where if you want to advance, and there it is right for you, there it is, in your own building, yep. you can grab it, and you're not given that opportunity, you may feel like you have to go somewhere else to get it. Yeah. This feels to me like that's probably what happened here in some capacity. Yeah. I I, I think Butler, see John Butler's tweet uh, last, or this, last night? Last I did. Night. I did. I did. It, and I, I think this is part of it. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, like I, I kind of think he's – doing this a little bit he's telling you like hey he doesn't directly say it but i'm if you need a coordinator or you need to be thinking about a future coordinator or someone with an elevated position like i'm your guy butler tweeted statistics with rank from my six years at buffalo as the defensive backs coach and he goes through eight players or eight stats points yards per game uh, yards per play takeaways passing yards per game passing yards per play quarterback rating and then 20 plus yard pass rate and where the bills ranked in those areas while he's been the coach second first first second first 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 mm-hmm. and he tweeted that and then said ask any db i have coached he doesn't Say what to, what to ask them. He just says, ask them. But what do we think he probably means? Like, hey, if you're a team that needs a guy out there to run your secondary and think about, you know, someone that can move up, isn't that kind of what he's... I mean, he he's sounding like, to me, someone that is thinking about his career in the way yes. you put it. And, right, if Bobby Babbage got the coordinator there. position, then I could see why he would, you know, be motivated for a change, too. He's putting his resume out there, right? That's what he's doing here. John Butler. And he, he my six years as Bill's DB coach, Buffalo as the DB coach. And you're right. He puts yep. together all these stats. He puts it out there and he, he talks about, and I think a couple other tweets if we go back, and player development. And, yes, that's true. I, I don't want to take anything away. I think he did a very good job with that group. I'll also say when he was hired, too, let's remember, Bobby Babbage was here when Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde were here and helped develop them. So, you know, Bobby Babbage has a good track record, too. This is not necessarily one, oh, my God, one's better than the other. You stink. This mm-hmm. is, I got to make a tough call. If I'm Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, I got to make a tough call on who's going to be the new defensive coordinator. And it might come down to, who do I not want to lose, Joe? Because if Bobby Babbage is getting interviewed, I didn't hear about John Butler getting interviewed for D.C. jobs. 
Now I know Eric right. Washington did because he took one. But this might have come down to, a, I don't want to lose Bobby Babbage, and he might go to Miami. He might go to the Giants. He might go to the Packers. I can't do that. I'm sorry, John Butler, you've done a really good job, right? But I, I got to keep this guy in my building. And oh, by the way, we mm-hmm. use a first-round pick on a guy in Kyrie Elam that's in your position group. This is not a sixth-rounder. It's not a seventh-rounder. And yes, he developed Christian Bedford, and he should be. And I'm not trying to, again, down Bobby uh, John Butler. I'm saying what mm-hmm. what this could have come down to was the Bills saying that's that's a big reason. Like, we have a sunken cost in a first-round pick, and we can't have that. So that's one of the reasons we have to, ma- we have to make this decision, too. And that, maybe that's what he's told. And I do think they would still be motivated to get Kyrie Elam into a position where he is a regular starter for the Bills. Yes. I don't know that they need it on the short term. Because you do have Benford, who I thought had a very strong season, and Rasul Douglas, who was playing at an all-pro level once he got here. But Douglas is nearing 30 years old. like He's on the back half of his career for sure, and there might be a future for him down the road where he gets extended, I I would believe, but maybe further down the road is even getting a position switch. And Elam's got two more years left in his rookie deal. And at the moment, he's in no position, I think, to, of course, you know, be thinking about fifth-year option or big contract extension or anything of the like. But you see the talent flashes. He's still only, we used to do it with Tremaine Edmonds, we might as well do it with Kyrie Elam. He's still only 22 years old, by the way, which is younger than some guys that will be drafted this April. And... I've pointed out there, there are some numbers that point to he's really only had one, maybe two bad games. One was really bad, Jacksonville, that that he's really played a lot in, in his first two seasons. So, you look at it, and Douglas is almost 30. Tredavious White is now coming off, a, is going to be coming off a second major injury, and he's got contract questions to go through as well. So you've got Benford, but you're short. All I would want to say on this is, your short term looks very strong to me at that position, mm-hmm. but the future long term is still pretty much up in the air. And I think they would be a lot more secure if they if they had more confidence that they were going to get something out of Kyrie Elam. Agreed with that. So I this is this is interesting to me because now you're actually bringing some excuse me somebody who and you know Jamila Dye by the way is a young guy. Has no NFL coaching experience, which is very interesting. Right. Miami, coming right? from the college University, ranks, University right? yeah, Miami. Miami. Yeah, I think he was at Georgia before that. I think of what yes. I read. Yes, yep. Um, Miami and Georgia, and again, and you, you know that that's that's great and good for him. But it is interesting here. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. I think this is for them to say we're going to hire a specific cornerbacks coach, and to have a guy exit who's been here and was in charge of that group that the first round pick hasn't become what they envisioned kind of ties some things to me here about how the bills are approaching. And that's interesting. What a business, right? I mean, it's, it's Joe, I'll tell you, I have friends in the coaching business and it's just, it is, it's tough. It's cutthroat. It's, um, it's very obviously results oriented. What have you done for me late? You never know. I mean, you have to maybe move. (laughs) I have a friend that was a wide receivers coach in college and he moved like, to four different cities in six years. And he's like, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, the coaching business is tough. And I I think, and you're not going to get, I mean, I don't think we're going to get John Butler tweeting out about, you know, all the details and what happened and mad at the organization. And if they mutually parted ways, then he's got some say in this too. They could have very well said, yeah, you know, I mean, we, we're we not going to give you the, 
defensive coordinator's job, but you know, we love what you're doing. And he could have said, I, yeah, guess what? I, I can't do that. I'm hitting my head against the ceiling here. And maybe that's why he left, but he wants to show what he's done with the guys who he has coached for the last several years. Yeah. I, I, I'm optimistic about how this could go. I wonder if their defensive backs will also play any differently. I don't know that I need that. They've right. had most... Right, Elam's like the only guy that really hasn't seemed comfortable in the way they play. Otherwise, everybody else has come through those doors in the last seven years. I mean, they've gotten the most out of. It's become a thing, really, that... Like, how important... I've said this in the past. How important is cornerback, too, when every single person they ever put in there performs? Um, mm-hmm. And, and including like Josh Norman at one point in time, like at the end of his career, maybe not this year, but a couple years ago, um, they've they've been always been fine. Levi Wallace for years, but they've always kind of had this: keep everything in front of you, don't let anything big over the top of you go go past you. You know, good tackling, not a lot of penalties. Um, like they've had this way of going about their their defensive back, their cornerbacks especially. And Elam is such a different breed, I think, for what they've been, that I wonder if a different coach for that position will, will we see any big changes in how they play? Or even, even it could be a modest change. They, they're not a team that really tries to ball hawk all that much. Like the Cowboys are a defense that for years have been like the, the peak example of that. Which is, it can go really well, you get a bunch of pick sixes, you get a bunch of interceptions, and then you also get a lot of big plays over the top. And you also now are not going to have Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer playing at all pro levels, or even on the team at all, that can cover up for you if you make a mistake, Mm -hmm. because you went out for an interception. So, I'll be curious. Maybe there's no change at all, but I think that will be, as much as like a Joe Brady... You know, conversation in the offseason will be like, how different will the offense look? I'll want to keep an eye out for, do they play their corners any differently with different defensive coaches now than than they have in the past? You're an Elam truther. You're you're I, a, you you yeah you're like an Elam truther. I don't. I really don't think he's that bad. I think that he gets a lot of polarization because of where he was drafted, and I think because. He, you already know the Bills don't fully trust him. I think you're more readily looking for things that Elam does, and you'll remember them. And I, I do the same thing. Like I remember mistakes he's made. But then you look back at the end of the day, and I should just pull this up because I looked this up in December, that when you look at the production at the end of it, he's pretty much the same player as Christian Benford. I don't know if they do it the same way, but target percentage in the in their first two years... Elam 12.7, Benford 12.8. Yards per target given up, Elam 8.7, Benford 8.8. Missed tackle percentage, Elam 10.4, Benford 10.7. And Benford actually has a higher rate of penalties than Elam does. And picks go to Elam too. So, again, I don't know, is that though because Elam's playing a different style that they want than Benford? I, I don't know what goes into that. But I have never thought that the player was all that bad. I thought he's been fine. Um, I, I think Benford, a big reason why he hasn't been playing the last two years, I think in a different alternate universe, maybe he's just in the games and we think of him as a pretty good corner, maybe not as good as we would have wanted. But Christian Benford showed up and was really good. And he's been starting. If Benford didn't exist or they had picked a kicker in that, with that six-round pick, 
instead of Christian Benford, I think that the story would be a little bit different about Kyrie Elam in the last two years. Very interesting. We'll see where it goes, but the Bills did make some changes yesterday, and they hired two people from the outside, three actually. They also hired a uh, coach named Christian Taylor by the name of Christian Taylor, who is uh, now going to be part of the defensive quality control. That's his title, defensive quality control coach. And, of course, Jamila Dye, we just said, is now the new cornerbacks coach. Ronald Curry, the new quarterbacks coach, this after a couple of internal promotions and hires. We're going to talk with Thad Brown at 11.05 today. Uh, just get uh, Thad's thoughts on everything going on. He was tweeting about it yesterday as well. We'll get his thoughts on some of the other things going on in the NFL, the Bills offseason, and then the Super Bowl. In the meantime, let's get connected with our fans right here. Gary in Kenmore. Hi, Gary. You're on WGR. Go ahead. It's, it's Jerry. But you know what's funny is um, I have the same exact feeling on, on, on Elam that – not that he's bad, he's just bad for McDermott. McDermott doesn't like inconsistency. Like, how would he handle McDermott, Trevon Diggs? Diggs is the worst corner in the league against the run, the worst corner in the league against the pass, but he gets 10 picks. So, so he's a highlight reel guy. Um, is it he just doesn't fit in what McDermott wants? Look at the way he's handled young players. You, you're not allowed to make mistakes. You know, you're punished for mistakes. And Elam's going to make mistakes, but he's made two of the biggest plays in our history, you know, the past two years. The, wow. In the Miami game, he made a great play. He made a great play in, in the Pittsburgh game. You know, if you had a list of top 40 plays in the last two years that changed games, he might have two of them. Yeah. I, I, I can get there quicker than two of the biggest plays in franchise history. That was a, that's a little much, but sure. Two of the best 40, maybe. Um, I I don't fully agree. I think James Cook's an example of a guy that's been young and inconsistent, and he's hit the bench a couple of times, but there are a lot of other examples of guys that go right in and don't come out, even when they make some mistakes. So I do think that is something that some gets over-talked about, even if there might be a little bit of truth to some of it. But I I wouldn't argue... Because I just went through like the numbers and how like the production at the end of the day comes out the same, but how they get there, you know, that could be that could be a part of this, right? Where Benford is, I don't think certainly more consistent at the end of the day. You might get more splash plays from Elam. You might get more high level plays from Elam, but if you get more low level plays too, that's not just a McDermott thing, though. I I think that's a natural coaching thing in general, right? Like a guy that gives you a lot of ups and downs is going to keep a coach on edge at all times because you're just so worried that that one play where he bites because he thinks he could pick the quarterback and uh uh-oh, there's a pump fake and now it's a 70-yard touchdown against me at the worst moment possible, you know, in a playoff game with minutes to go. I I can listen to why he hasn't played over Benford, even though I think Elam's pretty good, because I don't think you have those same concerns with a Christian Benford. Yeah, what's interesting to me, and I, Jerry, I don't completely disagree with you either. Like I, I think that's right. Like Sean McDermott wants consistency, no doubt about it. I think that's exactly right. But I would point out, too, Russell Douglas is kind of in this mold that these guys were talking about, isn't he? he, he He's a is, risk taker. Yeah. He, but he's he's like he just hasn't been beaten for right. the big play that makes you go oh well that's why we can't do it 
But he's a risk taker. Right. I, I would want to, I haven't watched him enough to know like what he was like in Philly and Green Bay, but I feel like he does the perfect fine, he does the perfect tightrope of he takes chances, but he's also very good at not getting destroyed over the mm-hmm. top, if, if you know what I mean. Like there are some corners, I think, that have. Like, what is it with Douglas? Douglas is, it's like that mental game where he's so quick, where he could read things. I don't think it, it's because he's like a super, a super athlete, you know, like the most athletic corner in football. Um, I think there's a lot of mental that has to be there when you play that style. And maybe that's where the concern is with Elam. Like, is so much relying on his athleticism to play that way that it can cause more mistakes? Because Douglas, right, he, he picks it off. He's a ball hawk, but... At least in a short time with the Bills, I can't think of a play where like he he got he got caught and got beat over the top. No, I agree. That's right. It is interesting. I I think the moves yesterday, this uh, move, and you're right. He's on a rookie contract. He's got two more years. I mean, maybe we could. Joe, I wouldn't doubt. I think we're going to be here in the summer at some point talking about are they going to trade Kyrie Lum. Because I don't think he's walking in and starting over Douglas or Benford or even no. Jackson necessarily or even Tredavious White to start training camp or to start you know OTAs. We're well, gonna, we're going to be having this same conversation we had last year. But I think the organization, yeah. to me, what it signifies is they still have a very vested interest in seeing this through. Yeah, my big question with him this off season isn't whether he'll start. I don't think there's any way he'll start if everybody's healthy. You're starting corners day one. Well, I shouldn't say that because if everybody's healthy, includes Tre'Davious White. I'm tech, I'm not anticipating that. So let's take White out for a second here. If everybody's healthy, your starting corners are Rasul Douglas and Christian Benford. So to me, the next question becomes: Do you trust Kyrie Elam enough to let Dane Jackson walk? To let Dane Jackson go and say, "All right, we might not trust you enough to start you, but we have enough trust for you to be our immediate backup to those two. And right. that that would be if White is also injured. And, I mean, I can get there. I don't need him to play over Benford. I love Elam, I, or I like Elam a lot. I don't need to play him over Benford. I don't need to play him over Douglas. I think he's good enough to be their number three corner, but my curiosity will be whether the Bills think he can be their number three corner. John Butler also tweeted yesterday a couple of replies. He actually had the same reply to a couple of tweets. He said, we had the best secondary in the NFL over the last six years, measured by every critical defensive metric. We had two separate DBs lead the league in DB tackling efficiency, uh, Dane -hmm. Jackson and Christian Benford. This year, Christian Benford and Russell Douglas led the NFL in takeaway plays. Then he said, come on, man, it ain't hard to see. What does that mean? I guess I don't know who he's arguing against because is there, I don't know what the tweet he was in response to, does anybody think there were they a have? There was one from Cover One, and and, okay. and they were just showing kind of what their what uh, the, the, the just a, just saying, hey, they had a really good year. Maybe yeah. there's going to be some changes. That was one. He also had another one to someone else, which said the same thing at the end, which was, "Come on, man, it ain't hard to see." Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just bitterness that he didn't get a promotion or something, be, or more interest around the league. Even it doesn't have to be just the Bills because of how well it's gone. Because I don't see anybody lining up to counter argue that, right? Like no. we we've all seen it. Everybody knows they've had an incredible rate of success against other quarterbacks, against you know opposing passing defenses in the, for the last seven years. So I, I might want to guess that that's what's happening. There is, hey, what's going on here? I've got the best secondary in football for seven years, and I can't get a promotion here or somewhere else. Um, 
Because, again, I don't think there's any case at all that, that it hasn't been true that they have one of the best secondaries in football. We, uh, we'll get to another question about Elam when we come back, but also something interesting on the Sabres that came up yesterday I want to talk about. We'll do that. We have Thad Brown at the top of the hour. And uh, Thad, you know, he's in Rochester, so we can actually ask him a couple questions about the uh, prospects that are down there because we're starting to shift our attention given, given the way the uh, Sabres season is going. In the meantime, got a lot more of your uh, phone calls on the way as well. 803-0550, thanks for joining us today on the Extra Point Show. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas Phoenix, and Rhode Island. Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast wgr looking to his left fires to the corner of the end zone and it's picked off by kair elam he snuck under the route and picked it off in the end zone Welcome back, Kair Elam. Chris Brown of the Buffalo Bills Radio Network. That was against the Pittsburgh Steelers in the playoff game against Mason Rudolph. Remember last year in the playoff game against the Dolphins, he had the game-changing interception that you know kind of propelled the Bills to retake that lead. This one was big because the Bills were up a couple scores. Steelers were about to score a change there. Then the Bills went down and scored another touchdown. If you remember that play, Joe, not taking anything away from Kyrie, you got to make the play. It almost kind of like he turned his head around and the ball hit him like he snuck up on him almost. But he made a great play to hold on to it, obviously, and get his feet in. Yeah. That play, to me, was showing off his man coverage skills a little bit. I don't even know if he was in man coverage, but 
Deontay Johnson ran a comeback route and stopped on a mm-hmm. dime. Like, it was a great route. Like, he ran it exactly how he was supposed to. Um, Elam was just so quick on the break that, right, like, it, he surprised himself with, like, the fact that the ball was even there because it was, like, a timing route. <laughs> right. And, like, yes. Rudolph threw the ball before Johnson was looking. To be able to get to that spot, I mean, that's that's the... That's the flash that I talk about. Like you, that ability mm-hmm. is in there. It's just can somebody figure out how to get that consistently? We also know he was dealing with a foot injury last year. I'm glad you mentioned that about man to man because Michael tweets into us. This is getting connected with our fans. It's brought to you by Northtown Kia, Western New York's number one Kia dealer. Shop online at NorthtownKia.com. Michael says, I think we've all heard and it's said that Elam isn't that good in zone. He's better in man. Zone is something we run a lot of, which doesn't make sense. Why do we draft a man corner if we run zone more? Does this hold any weight? I think it does a little bit, Michael. But to me, Joe, it's I think they thought he could play zone. It's just that he had to be refined there more. He was more of a man guy. I also think the Bills planned on playing a little more man to man last year, which they did, by the way. Right. Yep. And and that was last year. Now, granted, the year before is when Kyrie Elam was drafted. Yes, Michael, I agree with you that he was not necessarily the biggest scheme fit. But you know what? I think they loved his athleticism, mm-hmm. his coachability, and you rely on your coaches and the development. And he, they figured he probably wouldn't have to play right away. But now we're in a spot, Joe, where he's got to make that progression. And it, there's got to be some sort of coming together here between the two. I remember Bean talking about Elam last spring. And talking about how, like, I wish he, I think he said, I wish I could tell you it's because he's not working hard enough. Like, because then you'd right. have an explanation as to why. I don't know if he was talking about this element of it specifically, but why it's not necessarily meshing here. Because I remember the video of when they drafted him, the meeting of he want like, he wanted the playbook on the plane and, like, all the DNA that they would like in a draft pick. The guy had it. Like he gave the impression of a player that he might not know how to run this defense or play in a defense like this right away, but this dude's gonna work his butt off and he's gonna get there. He I think it sounds like has. It just still hasn't necessarily worked. And I guess like what what are you supposed to do about that? They were chasing a player that had a different type of skill set than they had at a very important position. What were they shooting for? I can't blame them for it. What they were shooting for was, if we get this guy some experience in our style of defense, and he can do well enough at it, and now we get all of this extra athletic ability, the range, the ability to intercept the ball, the ability to line up a a number one receiver man-on-man if we want to run a blitz. like He's got a different type of skill set than we currently have. I think that's what they were shooting for. They probably missed, and I. but I still don't blame them for the idea of, let's draft a guy that doesn't have a lot of experience in what we're doing, but it's because of the upside of what happens if, if we get him to do it. You know what's amazing as you talk about that? I'm thinking about exactly what they got in Russell Douglas. Right? Right, pretty I much. Mean, are they, right? I think that's exactly what it is, like that kind of guy. You, he can play. Yeah, we're getting the upside, and he can fit it. He's a better man-to-man guy, but he totally fits into what we do zone-wise. Nick in Rochester. Go ahead, Nick. You're on WGR. Hey, guys. Love the show. Um, Thank you. Back in, two, back in 2011, we drafted Aaron Williams out of Texas as a cornerback, and he struggled for a couple of years, and they moved him to safety. And if it wasn't for a neck injury, he would have probably been a seven- or eight-year starter at safety. 
I mean, I'm not an expert, but is there any thought of them moving Elam to safety considering he's a big guy, six foot one, 190 pounds? Is there any thought of moving him to safety since he's got four people ahead of him at cornerback that he's got to beat out? We, 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 we've, we've had this uh, question come up quite often, Nick, and my answer is he does not have the skill set to me to play safety. Aaron Williams did. The reason why Aaron Williams was moved to safety was because he didn't have the kind of hips and quick twitch that you needed at corner, and he fit much better as straight-line, tackler, physical player at safety. It was really more of what he was. This is the opposite with Elam. Elam's a corner. He's not a safety. He is an athletic guy. He's longer. He's not running. Think about, Nick, the safeties they have on this team. Okay, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Damar Hamlin. These are Cam Lewis. These are physical straighter line guys who can do a lot of things. They're super athletic. That's not Kyer Elam. So, Joe, I just don't see it happening. I think all the things Elam seemingly struggles with are the things he'd be asked to do even more of if they yep. moved him to safety. Like, I I don't yep. I don't anticipate they'll move anybody to safety from corner, but if they were going to, I think he might be, like, last on my list for the guys that they would do it with. Hope that answered your question, Nick. Let's go to Gary in Fredonia. Hi, Gary. Hi, Sal. I'm surprised that you guys haven't mentioned this, but the when if you go watch the play again, the receiver for Pittsburgh signaled which way he was going to turn right before the play started with his left hand. He signaled the quarterback. You watch it. So uh, I think that's why Elam knew exactly hmm. you know, what was going to happen. I don't think I knew this. I didn't bring it up because I didn't know it. Joe, did you know this? I did not know this. Uh Okay. Yeah, watch it. It's unbelievable. It's just so, you know, I couldn't believe it when I saw it. When, I'm watching it now. When did he point? He, he moved his left hand back. Watch it. Okay. I mean, I'm we'll watching watch it. it. I, I, think, I think he's just pumping his arms to run, if you're asking me. Oh, but I, No, I don't think so. No. Uh-uh. You talking about before the play and the snap or during when he, after the snap? No, before the snap. I think we're working real hard to try to not give him credit for that play. If if we're saying that Deontay Johnson is giving away with his left arm that where he's going, I don't I don't see that happening. Well, why is he moving yeah. his left arm? For what reason? He's running. You know, he hasn't the play hasn't even started yet. Oh, you're saying before the snap? That's he's what saying I was before the okay. snap. He's saying before the snap. But I don't have it going back. But the the the. The video I have doesn't go as far back. He's standing at the line of scrimmage. I, the only video I have is the snap. I'm gonna here, here, Gary. There's what we'll do. I'll take a look at it when I get a chance. I don't know. It's possible. Yeah. Maybe he could have been signaling something else. But you're right. But I also would love to give Kyrie Elam credit if he noticed that. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, of course. But yeah, you know, but it, I'll check it out though. Thanks, and and we'll look at it. I, I just don't have my my the video I'm looking at of it right now just starts after the ball was snapped and it's already in. Uh, Mason Rudolph's hand, but you know we'll see. Maybe maybe that that happened. Let's go to Jeff in Buffalo. Hi, Jeff. Hey guys, uh, thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, on that Elam thing, you know, you guys know football. Um, the dude turned around, the ball ended up in his lap. Um, yeah. As far as far as uh, he did, and like I said this earlier, but I give him credit. But like, when that happens, sometimes it's not easy to hold on, especially when you're a DB and you're not a receiver used to that. You know what I mean? Yep, a play's a play. Um, yep. But anyway, um, if I could real quick on, a, on the Elam thing, you know, we got this new defensive back coach, and ever since he came in, even in the first training camp, he was holding, he was grabbing, he was grabbing at jerseys, he'd grab you. 
And I mean, the receivers even, I mean, you know, you know, Diggs had words with him, and I think some of the other players might even had words with him, his cornerback coach, uh, and he was grabbing. I say throw a pair of mittens on this guy and, uh, you know, uh, teach him how to play zone without grabbing. Um, I think he's a, a tremendous athlete. Again, when they drafted him, I was like, oh, man, they're just reaching for a corner now because they were all gone already. But at the same time, um, you know, he doesn't fit our system, but, you know, Again, young player, maybe two, three years into it, he gets it. And, um, yeah, I don't see giving up on him. And if I could real quick, you guys talked about Cam Lewis. Um, you know, with the departures of, of our safeties or, or coming to be with Hyde even and uh, maybe Poyer, um, I really, I really like Cam Lewis. I think his development over the last couple of years is like from, you know, D to A. I mean, if you watch this guy, and even in, in camp this year, I mean – uh, you could tell the Bills were going to use him because, you know, he was getting reps and, and he was, you know, he was doing things when he was on the field and he's a good run stopper. And, you know, I just a little shout out to Cam Lewis. Hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, keeps, mm-hmm. keeps, keeps on the sun. But yeah, that's it. I need him. I think he's a great player. Put a pair of mittens on him and teach him how to play zone. <laughs> I'll, I'll let, I'll let Joe take that. I want to say first, Jeff. I thought I was the number one Cam Lewis fan in Buffalo. I think you hmm. might be the number one. I am. I'm a big Cam Lewis fan. You guys know that. I. I think this kid has played. Mm-hmm. Just he. He has. He has earned every single inch of what he has got in this league, and he's now a better player than he was. He much better player now. He's taken leaps, and he's been in the league now five years. I think what nineteen twenty one two three. This will yeah. be a sixth year for Cam Lewis, but. I agree with you. I'd love to see them keep him. I think he could start on this team at safety. We'll see where that goes. I, was, I don't think last year was as much as the uh, – I'm sorry, go ahead, but the, the yeah. grabbing stuff, was it? Not as much. I mean, that is, I think, a little bit of what he is. That doesn't, yeah. by the way, have to be a bad – I mean, it can be a bad thing. You don't want it to happen too much, but, I mean, the Seahawks built a, a an elite defensive secondary with Richard Sherman and Browner and those guys, and they were grabbing on every plate. The refs are only going to call it so often. I don't want to say it's not a big deal at all because you don't. The Deontay Johnson play before the pick was a penalty that he was grabbing on. Um, but I don't know that it has to be like a, a sink or swim thing for a player that he's a little bit grabby. Some there are physical corners in the league that get called more than others, and for him, it doesn't actually even come to fruition a lot that he gets called as much as you think. But by the way, in Lewis, I was just going to ask you that, but you kind of said it like. Like, how likely is it they just bring back their depth guys in Taylor Rapp and Cam Lewis and say, we'll be fine if we elevate these guys into more important positions at really cheap contracts? I think it's very possible. I don't think Tamar Hamlin starts, and I don't right. think you want that. He's not, to me, a starting level safety, but he's under contract, and he'll be a depth piece. But I think the other two can start, and that might be what you're looking at. Maybe not. Maybe they get somebody else, and that might frighten a lot of people and go, I don't want Taylor Rapp and Cam Lewis starting. I just think... Taylor Rapp played a lot better as the season went on when they had him in a bit of a different role and not having to really about the run as much and more of the pass. And then I think Cam Lewis is just a guy that he can play. And he's physical, and he understands the defense. He's been here long enough. I think it's very possible. Uh, my friend and longtime Western New York official, Al Fuller, texted me and said that he thinks Deontay Johnson was probably just doing what receivers are supposed to do and Kadarius Tony didn't do. Oh. Ask the referee if he's when on he, the line. When he points at the, the ref at the line? <laughs> yes. That's probably yes. right. That's got to be right. That's probably what he did. Thank you, Al. I appreciate that. All right, we'll take a timeout. I want to get to uh, what Elliot Friedman wrote about the Sabres and how it can be interpreted. And then we're going to have Thad Brown from Rochester join us at 11 o'clock here on the Extra Point Show. Hope you're enjoying your Thursday here on WGR.
Joe, did you read Elliot Friedman's 32 Thoughts, Sportsnet? I saw it referenced. I did not actually read it word for word, though. Okay, 13, he says. His 13th thought out of 32 Thoughts. I'm going to read this to you. Okay, I got it here. Buffalo's got a lot of good prospects, a really talented group not yet in the NHL. Over the next few months, it's very possible some will be used to get what the Sabres need. There's not room for all of them, and teams always wrestle with when someone outgrows the AHL. I'm very curious to see which young Sabres get a look over the next little while. I also expect Eric Johnson moves. That's a no-brainer for a contender. All right, so two things here. Number one, he's saying Eric Johnson's going to get moved. A contender's going to get him. We could talk about that. It sounds like maybe Elliot Friedman is clued in on here that the Sabres and Kevin Adams are going to be looking to move prospects for players sometime in the next few months, offseason, trade deadline, whatever. That's what I hope. I hope that he recognize, he I hope that he has been told or has some reason to believe that's the way Kevin Adams is thinking. I also think it's possible he's done what a lot of us have done and just kind of, well, let me look at the Sabres today. And then looks at their depth chart, mm-hmm. looks at their prospect pool and goes, wait a minute, all these guys are not making the team. And then just puts two and two together, and he writes down that on his 32 thoughts, something that we've already thought. I'm hoping it's the former, because it is far past time to me to have a trade like that for this team. We could talk about some of those players. Uh, We're going to have Thad Brown, and speaking of prospects, he's in Rochester. That's where the Amherst are. We'll concentrate most on football. I do want to ask him about the Amherst, though, and their season and what's going on as our attention kind of shifts towards some of these guys and what might happen. We'll do that. Thad Brown from WROC-TV in Rochester joins us next here on the Extra Point Show on WGR. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. It's that time of year. Cash the ticket. Jim Costa with Mike Valeni. We shift the focus from football to college hoops, getting us ready for the tournament where we're going to break down all the matchups and have an eye on some future plays, too. Search Cash the Ticket on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Extra Point Show with Sal Capaccio and Sneaky Joe DiBiase on WGR Sports Radio 550. What advice would you give Brock Purdy this week? I would tell him, silence the noise and just do what he's been doing. I think we have to stop this narrative that I do not like Brock Purdy. That's not the case. I'm a fan of Brock Purdy, right? And what he's been able to do has been wowing from a fan as well as a person who's played this game. But I just call it how I see it. And I think what he's been able to do with getting guys the football has been something that we've seen a lot of people do, but not at this level. 
That is Cam Newton on with uh, Dan Patrick. It was something a while ago with Cam, like kind of criticizing Brock, and people got mad or went after him, and now he's coming back on and talking about it. So yeah, so now he's talking about blocking out the noise and you know playing in the Super Bowl against Patrick Mahomes. It's kind of tough to block out the noise when you're the Super Bowl quarterback. I would just probably think that though, Joe. To be quite honest with you, yes. a lot of noise going on. Although maybe right? you try to block out the noise like when someone's asking you if you've ever thought about how you look like Lee Harvey Oswald or something along those lines because those are very strange. Did, questions. Was that asked of him? Yeah, of Bro- we're talking about Brock Purdy, right? That. Uh-huh. Yeah, he got asked. Yeah. Did he, I don't know, Josh, did you guess if he get, is he related to him or just if, if he's ever thought about how he looks like him? No, the guy just brought up, hey, there's a picture going around the internet of you two next to each other. Like, what do you think about that? Do you do you think you look like him? Which, and, by the way, I'm on the internet a lot, and I never saw the, the side-by-side. Like, it was but. like one tweet, but like, <laughs> Purdy was literally just like, what are you talking about? What, what, like, can, what are you supposed to say? I don't that? know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that, yeah, that Super Bowl week, right? That's Super Bowl Super week in Bowl a nutshell. Week, yes. Exactly. Uh, Thad Brown joins us right now on the Wester Hotline, of course, WROC TV. I have told Thad, I don't know about who he looks like. He's, he's his own guy, but he sounds like Adam Schefter. Whenever you're on, I always, I think you sound like Adam Schefter when you're on the radio. Hmm. Do you, you, I've told you that before, Thad. I don't, I don't know if you have. You probably have. You remember it. Uh, I don't, um, but obviously, I'm sure you have. I, the funny thing is, I apparently have a face that looks like everyone. I mean, I've been, I've had some good stars. I've had, I've had Matt Damon over the years, Chris O'Donnell are the two I get the most. Wow. But I am the guy, I am the guy that if I'm at a bar, someone's like, hey, are you Frank? No, I'm not him. No, I'm not. Oh, you look like this guy. No, I'm, I'm constantly that person. Everywhere I go, uh, I must have like the most average looking face ever because I look like everybody's like friend, acquaintance, person they used to work with and all that stuff. By the way, I just want to go back to the, um, the Brock yep. Purdy, Lee Harvey Oswald thing. I'm surprised yeah. that you guys didn't yeah. see it because I saw that thing at least 17 times in the last wow. 48 hours. <laughs> but the, you missed the quote tweet to it, which was great. It was uh, someone said these are two guys who couldn't have possibly done it by themselves. I thought that was the best. Wow, that Whoa. is uh, that is a tweet right there, right? Wow, <laughs> I love it, Joe. Don't you think that sounds like Adam Schefter? I, I'm like uncomfortable. I almost want to make sure I'm good to laugh. Like, but that's no, it's really good. Right, I know um, exactly. Right, no, that I know. is that I, is definitely don't you think really good. That sounds like Adam Schefter. I've never thought about that until now, and I guess I could see it a little bit. I always think okay, Ian well, Rapport as... and Adam Schefter sound the same. Well, as this goes on, you can you can let me know if you think Thad sounds like Adam right. Schefter on here. Uh, Thad Brown joining us here on the Wester Hotline, the Extra Point Show on WGR. All right, so Thad, um, the Bills make some coaching changes. We've talked about some of this today, and I have a theory. And one of the theories is it's not that outlandish that they were maybe going to lose two out of the three, two out of the three that they didn't choose, the two they didn't choose for defensive coordinator. So Eric Washington leaves. And now John Butler leaves. Of course, Bobby Babbage is elevated. But also, it's very interesting. They hired Jamil Adai to be the cornerbacks coach. This is a position coach. They did not even have on staff cornerbacks coach. I think this might all actually tie into Kyer Elam's lack of development and maybe, you know, not saying that they're all doing things for one guy, but I think this is partly why maybe some of these moves were made. Uh, are you implying that John Butler wasn't getting the job done as a defensive backs coach, or is this more of an, a die is specifically helpful, you think? Okay, my theory is John Butler probably wanted the defensive coordinator job. He didn't get it. 
And yeah, when they look at the body of work, they, prob- yeah. they probably – one of the reasons they might have given to him was, hey, we had a first-round pick in Kyrie Elam. You didn't develop him. And not that you're – we're firing him or necessarily. They mutually agreed to part ways, which is what the report is. And maybe that was why – and maybe that's why he continues to tweet about how he did develop all these other guys. I think that that's tied into, hey, we don't want to lose Bobby Babbage. He developed these guys. Oh, by the way, one of the reasons why we didn't choose you ca- hasn't worked out with Kyrie Elam yet. I certainly think that it's very possible slash likely that your scenario of they had three guys who are all qualified and probably capable of being coordinator. They could obviously only pick one, and the other two guys weren't going to be happy and had to go. I think that makes a whole lot of sense. And I think of the three, they picked the guy who, A, you know, I think maybe has the, the best future and upside because he's younger. But, B, you know, he's had success at two different position groups. I mean, you know, Babich, as everybody right. knows, did good work with Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer and then, you know, moved over to linebacker and, and took a pretty good player, Matt Milano, and, and got an all-pro season out of him and then got Terrell Bernard in his first year as a starter to be solid. You know, so he's done, you know, work in two different spots. So I think of the three, if they had to choose one, I think they picked the right guy. It is frustrating to have to lose the other two, but you can understand, you know, why that would happen. I mean, if, if you're at a company and, and you're, you know, hoping for a promotion and, you get passed over it. I think there's writing on the wall that you need to listen to, and maybe it's time to move on. So that that all makes sense. I don't know how much – I don't know if I'm with you with Kyer Elam being a large part of that, but it, it certainly did not help uh, Butler's case, that's for sure. And now they bring in a guy who they never had, like I said, a position coach they never had at cornerbacks coach, which is uh, – uh, how do you say his name? I'm sorry, again, Jamil, Jamil Adai. And I, I do think that – that might be like, hey, if we're going to have a guy, we have this first-round pick that hasn't developed yet, we're going to have a guy now work with him extensively. Because, Thad, they have a safeties coach in Joe Dana. They had a secondary coach in, you know, John Butler. Now they have a dedicated cornerbacks coach. So, again, just some theories we're working off of. Joe and I were talking about Kyrie Elam's development, lack of development, and what this might say about where they want to go with that position, this player specifically. I mean, I think doing something different with, with Elam is something that has to happen because what they've done for the last two years has not worked. And obviously, you know, he was injured and out for a lot of last year. But, you know, there, there has not been the consistent or um, the, the indications that this is a, a first-round pick that the light's going to go on at any time. I mean, even having the big game against Pittsburgh, he was, you know, a non-factor following that. So, um, you know, I think it's some, like with Von Miller this year, when it was, all right, let's – Let's uh, you know we'll, we'll play them a little bit, then we'll we'll sit them down for a game. It seemed like they were trying whatever they could do, hoping that whatever Von Miller used to be would would return. And you know, obviously didn't have any success with it last year. I think at some point when you're having when nothing is going right with a guy, you try whatever you can. And if this year it's going to be a specific corner coach, sure. I mean, I, I think that's a reasonable thing to do. This is a guy who's never been in the NFL before, um, and he's really you know bounced around from college to college to college. So I think he'd have a nice array of, of uh, schemes and thoughts and coordinators and people that he's worked with to come in with a, a variety of of opinions. And I think that's kind of the, the theme of the couple of the main hires they've made this year, you know, Ronald Curry, the same way. These are coaches that don't come in from one system. I've done it this way my entire life. And this is how it's going to be. These are guys that have a, a very background of experiences and, and you would think knowledge and we'll see if it works. Do you expect their secondary to play any differently than they have with now? I mean, at least compared to a couple years ago, it's a different Defensive coordinator calling plays. It's a different. Um, it's going to be different coaches in the secondary as well. Um, 
they've been very, what, like keep everything in front of you, no big plays allowed. It's worked. And Hyde and Poyer have been so key to that, too, that, I don't know, do you expect the corners to play any differently with new coaches and probably a very different level of safety behind them? No. I I think it's going to be – I think the style will be the same. I mean, if they wanted to change styles – and go more press man or more attack. Tyre Elam is the guy to do it with, and they can't make it <laughs> right. work with him. So if, if that's where they're at with a first-round pick who screams out, let's do it differently, I don't see any reason why it would change. And it's still Sean McDermott's defense. I mean, we don't really know um, who's calling the plays yet. You know, it, it is Bobby Babich as the coordinator, but if this is still Sean McDermott doing the same job he did last year, I don't see any reason why the, the, the scheme in general would be different. Now, your point about the safeties is big. I mean, it seems like at Maybe Micah Hyde, maybe Poyer too. You know, are, are not back next year. Poyer is a guy that, if they needed to create salary cap room, would be high on my list potentially, just because of the money that he would free up. So it's possible you could have two new safeties next year if you change the personnel that much. Then the style necessarily might have to change, even if just because the experience is different. But I don't think that's the intention. Yeah. I think they want to keep doing what they're doing. Maybe style was even the wrong way to put it because I do think. You know, like it maybe the better way to think about it is just there might be more on those corners where I, this is hard to compute, but how many mistakes have been made up for by corners over the years we don't know behind like off the camera or when we're not focusing on it because they've got two all pro safeties behind there. And even if Jordan Poyer or Micah Hyde are back next year, we're definitely at a point that where I think we, we all know like that level of safety is probably not gonna be on the field next year. Yeah, that's true. Now, to be fair, though, I think the part you're talking about with covering up for mistakes, I still think the mental game for both guys is high enough to where a lot of that can happen. But the other problem with with the way you know McDermott runs the defense and and you know how it's so communication based and there's so much that where everybody in that secondary needs to be on the same page. The guys in the middle have the most responsibility simply because they can communicate with more than one person. I've talked to the corners before about this, and there's a lot of times when, when the corner is just, they have to know what's going on, but they're on one side of the field. They're almost on an island with their responsibilities. So as the corner, you can't really make up for anything that's going on other than maybe the guy next to you. So it's going to still be on the safeties to be smart enough and knowledgeable enough to understand what's going on and be able to kind of you know, cover for mistakes might be a strong way to put it, but you you need to be the glue in the middle of that secondary. It doesn't matter who it's going to be. And yeah, I mean, one of the biggest concerns for me with this defense is that the coverage scheme has been so good at times, maybe not this past year, but years before because of how good those two safeties are. And, as you pointed out, one way or another, it's not going to be as good. That is a big, big concern going to next year. But you can't just fix that with even a new – you might put a talented player in there, but they don't know the defense as well. It's going to be a while before that comes back again. Thad Brown on the Western Hotline. What about on the other side of the ball? Ronald Curry comes over as the new quarterback's coach. A um, little bit of a surprise that they didn't go from within. They had a few guys on staff I think that might go to, but obviously he's put time in this league. And I don't know if you remember, I'm sure you do, You know Curry coming out of high school and how great of a phenom he was in basketball and football. So uh, he's got the name recognition in that regard. But he also has a working relationship with Joe Brady, which it feels like, as Joe pointed out, the word would be maybe ownership. Maybe they're giving Joe Brady, it feels like, some ownership of what he wants to do with the offense here, Thad. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's a, a good way to go about it. You know, if you're gonna, Especially on a team where the head coach is defensive-oriented and the offensive coordinator, in a lot of ways, is coach the head coach of the offense. So, you know, let him pick a little bit of his staff. But, Curry, I, I love the hire because it's 
there's again, you want to talk about varied backgrounds. This is a guy that was a college Division One quarterback and an NFL receiver, and has coached both positions in the NFL. So you know, this is someone who has the best background of both ends of the passing game. You know that you could probably find out there to, to do this job. So again, you know, varied experiences. You know, multiple. I mean, we talk about um, you know this, this team has always loved players that can do multiple things. When well, I got a coach that can really coach in multiple areas, not that he's going to coach the receivers. So I, I like the hire and. and you know, it's it's funny the the Bills quarterback coach position has to be among the most attractive in the NFL because the last two guys that had that job both have coordinator <laughs> spots right now. So I mean, if you're if you're someone in the league as an assistant and you're thinking, what job do I want to have to move up? Working with Josh Allen, there's no. I mean, right now those coordinator or those quarterback coaches are averaging 1.5 coordinator spots per guy. I don't know why that, that that's got to be about as attractive a job as you can have in the league right now. And then, obviously, with Joe Brady, uh, you know, calling the shots right now, we don't know who's going to call plays on defense. Sean McDermott forming his staff. There are always changes that can happen. We found out last year at the combine that Leslie Frazier was going to step away. I mean, it feels like maybe their 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 group is set, but I don't know. You never know that. I guess more changes could be coming. We could get to the combine and hear about more staff changes, guys, you know, leaving, guys coming. But you never know why these things are always fluid throughout the year. Yeah, and and what the with the Bills changing defensive coordinator last year really late in the off season, it's it's not something that happens all the time, but it happened last year, so you can't right. totally dismiss it. Um, I don't think they'd want to do that again. I think you know, obviously, if you're going to fire someone, you want to be able to have a nice array of choices to replace them with. And if you wait till the combine, your 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 list of available options is going to be smaller. So it's not the way you want to do business. And they haven't you know done it this year with the various changes they made. So I, I would be yep. surprised. If that happened again, but you're right, you can't totally dismiss it. I think this is the staff they're going to have, and you know it's a, a, a different direction on defense, at least below Sean McDermott. You know, offensively, you know, I think we're going to get mostly the same what we got last year. But I am fascinated to see what Curry brings to the offense. Any, I know it's a couple weeks old now, but uh, any surprise at all that the Bills didn't do more of a search and just went with Joe Brady uh, as the offensive coordinator? Not at all. No, I, I think he's done enough. I liked a lot of what he did end of the season. It wasn't just, you know, the, I think they needed a vibe change, number one. And, and you know, the, the real the problem with the offense wasn't necessarily Ken Dorsey's scheme. It was the fact they shoot themselves in the foot, you know, once every other possession. And, and at least with a new guy in charge, that seemed to go away. But you saw the adjustments. You saw the changes. You know, uh, Carl Jones, who works at uh, you know News 8 with me over in Rochester here, he talked a lot about he's liked Joe Brady's money plays, third down, red zone stuff. And, and you know, he's been impressed with what he's done there. So I think there's been enough of a resume to want to see what he can do with a full offseason. There's a good argument, though, for everybody who's, you know, come into this job since Brian Dable has been the guy that Josh Allen likes the best and the guy that, you know, Josh Allen knows the best. And maybe, you know, a new voice, and Curry could be that to a degree, but he's not going to be the guy in charge. Maybe a new guy in charge might have a, a positive impact, but – I, I, I like what Brady did. I want to see a full season of him, and, and it's not a surprise that the Bills didn't go too far out of the comfort zone there. Shout out to Carl Jones, former Syracuse DB, working with Thad Brown out there in Rochester. All right, let's talk uh, players. What do they do at wide receiver, Thad? And and I want you to include what it looks like right now with you know Gabe Davis's pending free agency, Stephon Diggs, you know drop off in production at the end of the year, and then you know the comments from Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean about explosive plays and player acquisition. I thought both of those were very interesting. Yeah, I think you gotta you got to spend an early draft asset on that if you can. 
that they need to come up with, in my opinion, the Stephon Diggs succession plan. And I don't know if they'll need it this year, but it, it seems like from what happened at the end of the season, they're going to need it relatively soon. And the best way to go about doing that is in the draft. There are really good receivers, Mike Evans, Michael Pittman, who are going to be available in free agency, but they don't have the financial resources probably to compete for those guys. And it doesn't make financial sense when you have a, a elite quarterback contract to try and go out there necessarily and chase an elite wide receiver contract. You've got to hit that guy in the draft. And most drafts this year, or the last few years, there are multiple options. You don't have to come up with that ace guy in the first 15 picks. You can do it bottom half of the first round. You can do it in round two. I mean, Pittman was a second-round guy. The, the Texans have, like, four number ones who are all picked after the third round. You know, So you, you don't have to necessarily hit on that top asset, but I think they've got to start with we need to find a number one and we probably need to get him out of the draft. There's going to be guys that I think you want to fill in um, depth-wise, receiver with veteran receivers, but finding that next elite player in the draft to me is the A1 priority because you look at this receiver core the last three years and we've had two, we've had a complaint all the time. Either it's been the secondary receivers don't produce enough or at the end of this year it was the number one receiver hasn't produced enough. Stephon Diggs can get back to that. He, he didn't drop off a mile from where he was, you know, started last year, 2022, that kind of thing. It seemed like there was a slight regression, but I'm not confident that they go into next year and can just expect number one elite Stefan Diggs to show up with the improvements we saw with Kincaid and Shakir. I want someone else in there to potentially be the next number one if I need him. And again, if I don't need him next year, I'll probably need him after that. So to me, it's the draft. Right. Yeah, thinking about two for that, like, I don't know how much this will get said, but thinking about future f- number one receiver type of potential for whoever they draft because, I mean, there's at least a question about Diggs that there hasn't been before. Now, also, that I wonder about like the question about what style of receiver. That's changed, too, like what the problem has been. Where How often do we talk about the lack of a guy for that easy button throw that they didn't have once Cole Beasley kind of hit a wall? And that doesn't seem to be a problem now with Shakir in the slot and Kincaid in the fold. I mean, now it seems like the the type of receiver, if they can get specific with it, is absolutely like down the field guy that can open things up for the others underneath. I I agree with that to a degree. Shakir is not an easy button throw guy. He is not a guy that that just because when the the Beasley easy button throws were literally it was Josh Allen gets to the line of scrimmage, sees Cole Beasley in single coverage, and drops back and says, "I'm just going to stare at." Beasley play gets open. And it worked all the time. Shakir is not that guy physically. Shakir is so smart when it comes to working his way through his zone, but you need to take time to let him do that. He can't just come off the line and be better than the guy across from him. He's got to understand leverages and, and find open space. So that's not that's a that's a drop, sit in the pocket, read defenses. It's not the easiest of throws. I think Kincaid could be that guy because Kincaid can just flat out dominate linebackers at times. But it doesn't mean that you can just pull away from your number one also you know, being able to, to, to do that function. And I think that's where the Bills have a little bit of an issue because I don't know if you can find the receiver as a number one that gives you the easy button throws and the explosive plays. And I think, Joe, that's where you're going with that. You almost got to pick one or the other. 
I wouldn't. I don't have an argument. I can make a good argument going both ways, and I, I would probably lean explosive because the one complaint about this offense, even when they were super elite, they've never been fast. They've never had that guy that just takes the top off. I mean, Isaiah McKenzie was the guy, finger quotes, in that role, but wasn't dominant in it. Deontay Hardy, almost irrelevant this year. James Cook has that to a degree as a running back, but he's not the home run hitter that like a Brees Hall is. So I want that guy that is so dominant speed-wise, explosive plays, you know, being the absolute threat down the field as much as you can be with, you know, having the other skills you want being a number one. That would be the guy I'd want to target. Thad, you're in Rochester. We're shifting our attention a bit from Sabres to prospects. There was a thing from Elliot Friedman today about their prospect pool in Rochester and how maybe they were going to be willing to move off some of those guys. Tell us about the season that they're having, uh, what's been going on down there. We've seen Devin Levi go kind of back and forth and Eric Comrie, for that matter, and a few other guys, too, because of the injuries that are up here. But uh, give us a little uh, update on what their season has looked like and going forward. Amherst started really fast this year. They were great in October. Every game in October, they scored at least four goals. And you know we're really good November too, but then they had a, a pretty rough December, and it's it's been kind of difficult since then. Um, you know, you took some of the top names that people would know about. You know, Rosean has ten goals, but seven of them are before Thanksgiving. Kulik has sixteen goals this year, hasn't scored since Christmas. So this is a team that's been struggling. You know, the last uh, month and a half, two months or whatever, to figure out what they've been. Now the the offensive explosions have been there. They've had three, four games, six, seven goals where they just look ridiculous on a particular night, but stringing it together and getting consistent production, even out of the, the top guys, and, you know, Kulik is supposed to be that, and, and certainly at a lot of times has been that for the Amherst. So the, there's some question there, but look, Seth Appert is one of the best coaches the Amherst have had, and they've had some good ones, you know, over the last couple decades or so. There's a reason why when, you know, Don Granado had to miss a game, Appert was the one that came up and, and, and got the Sabres bench for that night. So I think the Amherst will get stuff figured out. This is going to be a playoff team, and considering what they did last year, there's no reason not to think that they can't do some damage again in the in the Calder Cup playoffs, but it has been a while since we've seen, you know, kind of the consistent elite performance that this team showed the first two months of the season. Interesting. I what When Devin Levi comes down, like, what's that like? Are people... Like, how, how do the fans react? Okay, we're getting Devin Levi down here. Like, has it become a, a deal? You know, people want to go out there and watch him play because of the high accolades and being in the NHL and, you know, what he was thought to be here in Buffalo and then obviously getting some run down there? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, pe- people do get excited to see Levi. I mean, obviously, this is the the prospect who, you know, and obviously, you know, UPL has played pretty well the last month, month and a half or so. So maybe Levi mm-hmm. isn't necessarily the unquestioned future, but a lot of people still look at him that way. And it's been a while since we've had a goalie prospect of that level here. I mean, you mm-hmm. wouldn't have to go all the way back to, uh, to Miller for that, you know, to be, to be that guy wow. that, um, that, you know, wow, that's going to be the the goalie that's going to be in Buffalo for years, decades to come, hopefully. So it's been it's been fun to see, but you know, Levi hasn't performed much better down here than he has in Buffalo. He, he's coming off a, a 32 of 33 shots, a 32 saves on 33 shot performance their last game out, but his other few starts have been the same kind of mixed bag we saw in Buffalo. So it, it while the future and the hopes are there for him, the talent hasn't been there yet. So it, it's hard to generate a huge buzz with a guy that everyone hopes will be good, but certainly hasn't been this year. Interesting. Comrie's played pretty well, right? I'm looking at his numbers right now. You tell me, though. 226 goals against, 934 save percentage. Looks pretty good. 
Yeah, he, he looks like a, an NHL veteran who's playing at the AAA level, kind of like your your consummate quadruple yeah. A player, you know that kind of thing. When, when he comes down <laughs> yeah. here, he looks like a guy that that's been around and done that. And and at this level, with with so many young players, I mean, most of the teams at this level, you know, are, are running primarily prospect laden squads. You know, but you'll see like one of the reasons that the Emmerichs. Uh, fell short in the Calder Cup playoffs last year. They ran into a Hershey team that employs a ton of older, more veteran players. You know, you, yeah. there's a difference when even if the guy doesn't have NHL level talent, if he's 29, 30 years old, been around the, the professional game for a while, you can see the difference, and you can see it with Comrie down here as well. All right, good, Joe. Yeah, anything before we let that go? Uh, I think we're, I think we're good. Yeah, Amherst. All right, because I wanted to get you uh, about 30 seconds if you can, that on. Who's going to win the Super Bowl and why, if you want to share that pick? Maybe you have to save it or something for some big reveal. I don't know. But what, what, do, you, what do you think is going to happen on Sunday? No, no big reveal. I, I can give it to you right now. I think the Chiefs win. Okay. My, my gut reaction was the Chiefs are the better team because the Niners haven't been great the last month, month and a half of the season. Defensively, offensively, underlying numbers aren't good. They didn't look good against the two good AFC defenses they played this year, Cleveland and, and, and Baltimore. But, you know, the Chiefs' run defense is so bad. It wouldn't stun me to see McCaffrey go for a buck fifty. It's fourteen three middle of the second quarter, and now the Niners can just pin their ears back and rush Mahomes all game long, and, and, and San Francisco wins that way. But that, to me, is the only way the Niners win because the Chiefs' defense and, and what they've done offensively lately has been too good, I think, for what the Niners under the radar kind of have been on both sides of the ball. All right, buddy. Well, we got some NFL events going on here over the next go uh, couple of months. You got the uh, combine, the draft, the owners' meetings, lots of stuff going on. And of course, uh, I'm sure I'm going to see you at some point. We're also going to talk a little bit down the road. So thanks for doing this today. And WROC TV in Rochester, some great stuff you guys got going on there. And uh, you and Carl do some really cool stuff. So thanks a lot for coming on today. Thanks as always for giving me the time, guys. And I'm sorry to uh, break a story, Adam Schefter, like during the, the segment today. <laughs> no, that's okay. You still sound like him. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> see you guys. All right. By the way, Schefter tweeting with um, he. So Woj is tweeting about this trade that happened in the NBA, right? There's a trade that happened with the the Knicks. Apparently, I think I have to look at the trade here. And every time he tweets, like Schefter quote tweets him, almost like he is like, "Hey, I'm a basketball guy too." You know what I mean? Yeah. There's uh, I thought there was like a bromance between those two. Like they're the they're the kings <laughs> of their industry in uh, two different sports. Schefter also was trying. It, it's gone a little bit both ways. Maybe this is actually says the opposite's true. That Schefter broke NBA news a couple months ago, and it was after yeah. it was after Woj I thought broke something NFL, and it was almost a little of uh, you you really you want you step into my game. Watch this. I'm, I'm gonna break some Knicks news or something. So. We'll see if Schefter gets into <laughs> I think that. You're right. By the way, uh, right. the trade, yeah. just fun fact, the guy, the today's yeah. the NBA trade deadline, Quentin Grimes got traded from the New York Knicks. He's the half brother of uh, Tyler Myers. Fun fact. Really? Yes. The former Sabres defenseman, Tyler Myers. Yes, who was the last player in the NHL to play a playoff game for them. Always worth mentioning. It's been the oh, that's, a, that's also true? He's, that the last, is, he's the last active wait, NHL. Say, say that one more time. What is he? Tyler he is Myers. The he's the last player in the NHL that has, that has played in the playoffs for the last. Buffalo Sabres. Okay, last player remaining, like currently playing in the NHL. Because yes. yeah. Tyler Ennis retired. He did. Did he play in the playoffs? He did. He would have been the second last. Okay. Okay. Good fun facts from Joe today. 
All right, Joe. So what if they do move Eric Johnson? I don't know if they're going to get anything for him, but I'll ask. Uh, well, let's let's visit that. And how about picking apart some of these processes? Be willing for what they can get. Yes, basically indicate that may be happening over the next few months here on WGR. Pictures of you and and uh, Lee Harvey Oswald circling around the internet right now. People think you took the mic. Did you ever hear that before? I haven't. That's my first time hearing it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 I don't know. What a position to put him in, right? To ask him that. I mean, what do you think about that comparison of the guy who's accused of murdering President John F. Kennedy? There's been some weird ones. <laughs> Super Bowl Media I mean, Week is just like some. That, you're always going to get something. You could feel his uncomfortableness in that answer, right? Yes. As it should be. Like, like how, I don't like, know what to tell buddy, you. Dude. How am I supposed I mean, to answer this question? Yeah. Like, what do you What do you want from me? You, what, what, you, what do you want? Oh I'm yeah, I'm to... honored. No, no. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Brock Purdy. Uh, the the Cleveland Browns are going to get a new stadium, or they're going to have a renovation of their old stadium. But yeah. there's a lot going on today. I saw you retweet their statement on it because there's been a lot of reporting. Apparently, I think what happened here is there's been some leaks. So I think the team felt that they had to kind of address mm-hmm. some aspect of this. So they kind of put out there that, yeah, we're looking at renovating. We're also looking at new possibilities. And apparently, according to our buddy Daryl Ryder at The Fan in Cleveland, sister station here on Odyssey, mm-hmm. he has confirmed a report from another from another reporter that says the Browns are buying 176 acres in Brook Park near the airport, which is adjacent. Uh, to, I'm sorry, in Brook Park was adjacent to the Cleveland airport. Also, I believe, from what I've read here, the airport is scheduled to have some major renovation. This could all be a part of a big project to get a new Brown Stadium where the Cleveland Airport is, which I'm I'm not exactly sure. I'd have to look on a map. And then they're going to go through the, is it going to have a roof and all of that? But, Joe, it's trending towards them getting a new stadium, not renovating the old stadium now. Yeah, and I'm looking at Daryl's Twitter, and he's saying, this is not a report as much as I think it's some of his opinion. Um that mm-hmm. there's a good chance that it will have a roof. But again, that's just kind of him, like, you know, putting two and two together. Oh, you can yeah. generate more economic, economic impact uh, with the stadium. I will also point out that as much as all these teams always want a dome, that there's, there's a pretty good reason. There's some there's some reason why the all of the dome teams are pretty much in the south or in warm weather climates. Like Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and New England – and Baltimore, Buffalo, um, the Jets and the Giants, like a lot of these, the Seattle, a lot of these cold weather environments don't have domes. I don't know why, just it seems to be the way it is. There's a couple, but most of them are like Atlanta and, you know, New Orleans and, you know, Houston. So I don't know if that what are, what are the What are the, the ones that do it? Minnesota and Detroit? Minnesota and Detroit, I think, are probably the only two, right? that are cold weather climates that have a dome. And those two always had domes. They didn't suddenly build one. Right, right. Right. Okay, they didn't like go from... Now, Minnesota didn't always. They used to play outdoors back in the 70s. Then they built the Metrodome. Right. And then, you know, they played there for a long time, built their new dome. Detroit was always in the Silverdome. Now they obviously play at Ford Field. 
Indy, I guess, but they've always also played in a dome, but that's not necessarily east. Like, that's kind of, it's Midwest, right? But it's a little bit more north, but yeah. not the kind of climate so, in Buffalo. That's really it, though. So I think I'd want to bet against, I'd want to take someone's bet, unless they know that hmm. Cleveland's going to be open air again. I don't know, like, mm-hmm. those, those, I don't want to make a generalization about those cities, the Rust Belt cities, you know, up north. Um, but I don't know. I think you're getting a more premium customer in places like Dallas and Atlanta and Houston that are that are you're gonna the money that is gonna be spent is there. The corporate money to get a roof built is gonna be there because sometimes you're almost doubling the cost of a stadium by doing that. Mm-hmm. And so Cleveland, all right, if they want a roof, how are they gonna do it? I doubt they're going to have the level of corporate money that's going to be able to make that happen. They probably are going to have to get, you know, taxpayer money to have that happen, and that's when that gets even more tricky. So I, I, you know, we'll see. I'm betting, though, I would bet, just not knowing anything, that they're not going to have a dome. Elliot Friedman's 32 thoughts included a thought on the Sabres possibly moving some prospects over the next several months. He also mentioned Eric Johnson. Seems like a no-brainer for a contending team. I agree with that. I don't think you're getting much for Eric Johnson. Uh, he's a veteran player. He's, 30, he's 35 years old. How old is he? Is he 35 years old? How old is he? he I think he's 35, yeah. And he'll be a UFA at the end of the year. So, I mean, you're really getting probably a late-round pick for him, something like that, future considerations. I'm not really sure. I can't imagine he'd fetch anymore. Maybe I'm wrong, Joe. I mean, would you see it that way? A team I, yeah. needs a guy like that, but I can't see much. Fifth, sixth-rounder, seventh-rounder. Yeah. Like I just, I don't think you're getting much of anything. He is pretty provably bad right now. Five-on-five, <laughs> five at least. He And Paul's pointed this out, right. and he's right. And the numbers back it up, too, that he's been a very, very good penalty killer. Um, and he's definitely helped that mm-hmm. for the Sabres. So if you're, if there's okay. a team out there that thinks, all right, we're pretty good on our blue line. We only need this guy to play like 12 minutes a night and just come help our penalty kill. We'll throw you a six round pick. Um, but I wouldn't think that anybody is lining up to, to give anything of value for him at this point. Okay, so let's pick apart if they do start moving some prospects. Where do you start? Where do you end? Because there's obviously a lot of names that you know. I I love the mm-hmm. potential of them. That's what prospects are—the potential of them. And Matthew Savoy and Yuri Kulik. Like I don't want to see them move, but at the same time, it's the price of trying to get better, right? You're going to have to do it at some point. Would you start with that group, or would you start with young guys here already in Buffalo? Well, those guys would be who Benson, Paterka, and Quinn. Um, would be that group. If you're getting one of those players, I think it needs to be a pretty massive trade. Like, we're talking about a player that I don't see being available right now. Like, we're talking about an Eichel-level trade, where you're you're giving up J.J. Paterka and other stuff because you're getting a legitimate star back. Um, or you're giving, like, Zach Benson's their number one prospect in the organization that's already in the NHL. Same thing. Why am I trading Zach Benson? I'm getting, you know, again, right. a, a version of the Eichel trade. Some other team's best player is suddenly on the market. I think what's much more likely if they do a trade like this is, yeah, they'll trade a Savoy, they'll trade an Oslind, a, a Kulik, they'll trade a Roseanne, someone like, I mean, that's four first-round pick forwards right there that we all know are all not going to make the team someday. So this trade's inevitable no matter what. I I think you package a guy like that, 
You throw a draft pick in, on top of it, maybe a future first, and you go get a player that makes you immediately better. I would think in particular on the blue line. The problem is, I don't know if that's a deadline deal, especially for a team that's not really in the race right now. Like That might be more of an off-season trade. The only deadline deal I think makes sense on that front would be getting another prospect. There's this guy, this kid, David Juracek in Columbus, who went sixth overall two years ago. He has no idea why he's not in the NHL. Columbus is terrible. They have no defensemen. This guy just scored a hat-trick in the AHL the other night. He's not even that offensive of a defenseman. He just wants to be in the league, and now his trade name is on the market. Like To me, I, I would want to swap one of my forward prospects for their top defenseman prospect. And and that is more of a hockey trade, I think. Like that is the type of idea I think the deadline makes sense for more than, you know, let's go buy right now. I just looked at team's penalty kill percentage and the first team I get to that is a serious possible contender right now that does not have a good penalty kill is the Winnipeg Jets. All right. Send them Eric Johnson for a conditional fifth. If they, how about let's let's do let's get really uh, harsh with the conditions. It's a fifth, but it becomes a second if you win the Stanley Cup. <laughs> let's do that. Come on, Winnipeg. Here, here are the worst penalty kill teams right now in the league by percentage: Islanders, Sharks, Wild, Canadians, Senators, Jets, Predators, Blackhawks, Blue Jackets, Maple Leafs. Mm-hmm. Any interest there? Somebody they got? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I hate this. Mm-hmm. I hate the idea of a seller's trade, but they're not. Yeah. You know what? There is one example. There's one example of the Sabres not even being in the race and buying at the deadline. Remember when they traded for Brandon Montour? I do. They traded for Brandon Montour on February 24th of 2019. And the Sabres on that day, this was during the 10-game win streak season, I think, but they had already fallen... They had all they had already fallen out of the race. So on that day, there was a Sunday, they were six points out of a playoff spot. So not too different. They were a little closer than the ten that they're back mm-hmm. now, but they weren't all that likely. They were pretty it was a long shot. And they made that trade because they knew, okay, maybe we make a run now, but doesn't matter. We need a top four defenseman. This guy's been a top four defenseman in Anaheim. Let's go do that. It didn't work. I might want to blame Ralph Kruger for that, but I want that trade right now. I want the Brandon Montour trade recreated with the hope that, you know, a better, more uh, offensive head coach is going to get more out of a player like that. I am thinking about deadline day deals now and, like, just guys. You know whose name came to my mind? Dinus Zubris. He played, what, like 20 games, I think? Yeah, 20 regular season games. He was was a part of that playoff run. I don't know if he ever scored. That's right. Um. He's on the ice when Drury scores in Game 5 against the Rangers. I know that. I don't know if he did anything on that shift, but he was on the oh, ice. Oh, really? He's in the celebration pile. Go back and look. Dinah Zubers okay. was out there. The hero line to tie it at the end. He was out there. Yes. They face off against Nylander, right? Yes. Uh, Zubers played 19 games, 8 points. All right. We're going to have to do that at some point. I would kill. The NHL trade I would kill to be mad that they spent... You know, a third round pick on some <laughs> rental that's not that good. That's going right. to allegedly help them in the playoffs. I would kill to be able to have arguments like that. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back. We'll wrap up your Thursday here in the Extra Point Show on WGR.
All right, Joe, we only have a couple minutes, but something else I wanted to run by you here, speaking of the Sabres. Uh, let me ask you this way. Who are the who are the two Sabres main goalies two years from now? Devin Levi. And, and someone other than UPL? I had a thought, and I think we're going to do it uh-huh. a little bit on the morning show tomorrow, like about okay. Lukanen. And how you won't love it, but now is probably if you were ever going to trade him, you do it now mm-hmm. because his value is higher than it ever will be, and you got to decide whether you're paying him this summer. Yes, and I am. That's loving, why I brought this up to you. I'm looking yeah. at the chart, and I'm like, I'm at cap friendly, and I'm like, we talk about Middlestat, but UPL's an RFA. Yeah, and I'm loving what he's doing this year. He he's been awesome. But if they still believe Devin Levi, and I, I do too. I mean, this is a normal development for a 21-year-old goaltender. This is completely normal. Mm-hmm. If they still believe Devin Levi is their future number one goaltender, then what am I giving Ukapekalukkanen to be my 1B for the future? I, I don't know. I, I think if right. you can – it's dangerous because I know you don't know what Levi is going to be, and Lukanen's been so good this year. But goalies are up and down. So – this is this might not be as good as he is forever. He might have four seasons like this, but he might have five seasons where like last year. Um, I think that's about the goalie he's going to be. So, can you use him to get a top four defenseman right now? Because and if the answer is no to that question, I don't need to trade him. I don't need to trade him unless I'm I'm getting that type of player. But if if I'm calling Calgary for Rasmus Anderson, who's a top pair defenseman, I think. But most teams would get him as a top four. And they say, okay, but we need Lukanen. I'm I'm not hanging up the phone. All right. So maybe you guys talk about this tomorrow. I like this conversation. We will revisit it as well. And then tomorrow, of course, more on the Super Bowl. That's on Sunday. Thanks for being with us today on a Thursday. Sabres Live up next. One Bill's Live after that on WGR. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. 
So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.